As Andrew says, we're in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. It's being found that in your Bibles. Um, just maybe take a couple of minutes to mention about the Hope Explored. Um, as Andrew said, it's going to be slightly different. And we're going to be starting at 4 o'clock and there'll be tables set up uh, with coffee and biscuits and so on at the start. So those of us staying for lunch, if about 3 o'clock we could start preparing that and getting things ready for a four o'clock start, that would be helpful. And those who have got roles within the service uh, of facilitator or Sharon and Pam on the door, whatever you're doing, um, if you could just be aware of the need to to sit at a table, sit alongside somebody, it's different, so we're not sure how it's going to work when people come in, but just be aware of the need to encourage people to sit down and join the table. Okay. Now, I'm going to read the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, but there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, it's a bit unusual for you to hear that in 1st of October. Um, normally you're thinking, have I bought all my Christmas presents? Have I remembered to get the turkey? Have I remembered to give John a Christmas present? All these things are going through your head. So often when you're re- hearing this, you're not necessarily listening to what's being said. So it's great on the 1st of October to be able to look at this passage and not be cluttered with other things in our head. In fact... Historically, it's, it's, it's thought that Jesus was born closer to the 1st of October, sometime in September. So we're closer to that, that time. But I want to just pick out three important facts from these verses we read. And they're not facts that you've, uh, are new to you. You'll have heard them before, but it's worth um, re-emphasizing them because I, I believe they're helpful for us in our Christian walk. The first one is that God is in control. We thought about this, but Judas was speaking... Uh, about Zechariah, um, but 
it's worth emphasizing God is in control. God's plan is beginning to unfold when we look at these verses in Luke's Gospel. But if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, and God promised a Redeemer would be found for their people. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the sacrifices that were offered, the worship that the Jews brought, all led and pointed towards this time when the Lord Jesus would come, the Lamb of God would come into the world. And this is the point when he arrives in the world. He's born as a baby. We know that Jesus would be born of a virgin. We know that he would be uh, of the line of David, as it mentions, of the house of, uh, and line of David. And we also know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. These are told to us in the Old Testament. But a number of things needed to happen for those things to take place and for the baby to be born in Bethlehem. And that's why when we read this passage at the beginning, it talks about Caesar Augustus, how the fact that he had to, he ordered a census that people should go to their place of origin and register. Uh, The Roman Empire was quite a large empire, and I guess this was a way of just knowing how many people there were in the Roman Empire at the time. So people went back, registered their name, and they knew who they were. It's a bit like uh, asking Jim to go back to Glasgow to register. Um, It's like asking say to go to Zimbabwe. I'm sorry, Sharon, but you have to go to Zimbabwe as well. I don't think you can go to Nigeria. I think you had to go where your husband was going. Um, so Pam would have to come with me to Cumbria. All these things, that, uh, well, Abigail would go to the soft south. Um, and you'd, you'd all be taken to the places where you're from, and you'd register, and that's what was happening here. And in, in Joseph's case, he was from Bethlehem. That was the history of his family. So he had to leave and go about 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So all that needed to happen. Caesar appeared to be in control by asking people, commanding them to go to that place. But God was overruling. And that's the important thing for us today, isn't it? No matter what we see happening around us, God is in control. He overrules. We look at the state of the world, and I actually think we live in a good country. We often put ourselves down, but I think we live in a good country. A lot of great things about Britain that we should be proud of. We have great freedoms. We have freedom to meet today. We have freedom to preach on the streets. Freedom to do all sorts of things. However, there are some things that we look at and we think, what's going on here? What is happening? Why are these decisions being made? And we see things happening in the world, the wars that happen. And we do start to question, and a lot of people who are not Christians also question us and say, well, why is God allowing these things to happen? And we need to remind ourselves that when these things happen, God uses people. Caesar Augustus was not a nice man, but God used that situation to fulfill his plan that the baby Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And today, God will use circumstances, he'll use situations in the world to fulfill his plan. He has made a plan, we know that, he had a plan for the Lord Jesus He has a plan that the Lord Jesus will come back again and nothing will hinder that plan. That plan will be fulfilled. Sometimes in our own personal lives we have things happening and we question them and say, why are these things happening? I'm not quite sure what decision I should be making. I don't understand why God is allowing these things to happen. And again, we need to remind ourselves that God is in control. And we need to be obedient to God and follow him and his plan. It tells us, doesn't it, that God has plans for each one of us. Each one of us, God has a plan for. Let's not forget that. 
but let's not try to organise that plan for ourselves. Let's remember that he's in control. And when things get a little bit difficult, we're not sure why things are happening, just remember that God is in control. And that applies to the future as well, because sometimes when we look beyond now, we think, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so glad I'm 55, and I don't have to go through as a teenager. I, I look at my grandchildren and I think, what a shame that they're growing up. I mean, they're probably not thinking this at all. But you look at them and think, they're growing up in a world which is so difficult. It seems to be so difficult. I wonder what the future holds. I'm sure every generation has thought that. But again, we need to rest in the assurance that God is in control. He holds the future in his hands. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And let's trust him for that. There's a, a song by Don Moen, singer-songwriter and it goes like this God will make a way when there seems to be no way he works in ways we cannot see he will make a way for me and that's true God knows the future he knows what he's doing we don't always understand it but he will direct us and he is in control the second fact I want to bring out is that God came to where we are now when we read those verses and I'll just direct you to verses 6 and 7 it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. A very simple statement, a very understated comment, isn't it? The time came for the baby to be born. And in verse 7 it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. It reminds us of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it talks about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Very simple words, talking about this baby He's going to be a son, and he's going to be born, or is born. Jesus coming to where we are, coming into the world. And we've been thinking that a little bit that this morning. But if you go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it expands that thought. It talks about he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So when we think of this baby being born to Mary, what we're seeing is a glimpse of something far greater than that. And we need to, again to remind ourselves that God, in all his greatness, has sent his son into this world. Wonderful counsellor. Now a counsellor is someone who usually gets alongside somebody and helps them, and guides them, and leads them, gives them advice. But you know, Jesus is so much more than that. He's a wonderful counsellor. He will guide us and lead us through life if we put our trust in him. He's a wonderful counsellor, but he's described here as a baby to be born. He's a mighty God, a mighty God who, thrung, who flung stars into space. We'll be thinking about it this afternoon in Luke's Gospel, how he's a mighty God who had the power has the power to heal people. He has the power to raise people from the dead. He has the power to calm the storms. All that power is within his grasp. And he has the power to forgive our sin. He is a mighty God, a mighty God. And that mighty God came into this world as a baby. He's a mighty God. He's everlasting Father. When we think about the Lord Jesus, he goes back before time began. He's always existed, the Lord Jesus. 
He exists now and he will exist all the time into the future. That's why we can say he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the father of eternity. He has no beginning and no end. And he came into this world as a baby boy, a son. He is the Prince of Peace. At this time, the Romans were in control in these countries. And they were able to announce times of peace. For 27 years before this happened, there had been peace in the Roman Empire. That means there was no war. And we do get times of peace, not very often in this world, but there are certain times when we, we've had it very fortunate. In this country, we haven't had a war for many years. But I'm not talking about that type of peace. We're talking about peace here with God, a different type of peace. Jesus came, and he came as a Prince of Peace to bring us peace with a holy Father. And we have that peace because of what he did when he came here. He, thought it, he lived his life here. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he took our sin. He dealt with our sin, and he broke the barrier of sin that we might have access to a holy God and a holy Father. And that is what he's done. He's brought us peace in our lives and peace with God. And that is real peace. These other types of peace will come and go. They will always be there. There will always be conflicts and wars. But peace with God is an opportunity that we have and we have taken because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And we can have peace within our own lives because of that. We can be at peace with ourselves. If you're struggling with something, remind yourself that we have peace with God. We have no need to fear. And we can have peace with one another because we have peace with God. And that's a wonderful fact that the Lord Jesus, this Son of God, has come into this world as a baby, as a baby boy, a son, and yet he is a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who it is who has come. That's beyond our comprehension to understand it, that God has sent his son into this world to become a baby and to grow into him, to be a man. Zechariah gets it right in chapter 1 of, of, of Luke's Gospel in the song that he, he, he sang. If you look at that down that song he talks about because he has come to his people and redeemed them, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Verse 74 he rescues us from the hand of our enemies. He enables us to serve him without fear. Verse 77 he gives his people the knowledge of of salvation. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. The day spring, the light coming into this world, shining into this darkness. He has come into this world and Zechariah knew what was going to happen. He knew what was ahead. He knew what the Lord Jesus was going to do. And we need to remind ourselves that not only is God in control, but he has come to where we are. And thirdly, he has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us just as he revealed himself to the shepherds. 
I want to think about the shepherds for a few minutes and what we can learn from these shepherds. The first thing that they were humble. In 1700, the carol was written uh, while shepherds watched their flocks by night. In 1745, they added a word that says, while humble shepherds watched their flocks. Now, they've dropped that. We tend to sing just the original one. But it's just a generally thought these shepherds were humble, humble people. And humility is a huge part of our life. It should be a huge part of our life. The Lord Jesus himself humbled himself when he came into this world. And he talks about us being humble. These men, these shepherds, they were responsible for looking after the sheep. But they were a dirty bunch. Let's not think of the image that we have with the tea towel wrapped around their head. These men were cruel. They were sinful. They were dirty. Um, because of their job, they often had to spend time away from home for long periods, so they couldn't get to the temple, so they often classes been unclean because they hadn't been able to go to the temple to be cleansed. So that's the type of person we're talking about. They were probably outcasts of society. People didn't like them. And Jesus, the, the angel appeared to these shepherds. Winston Churchill says of Clement Attlee, He's a modest man, but he's got much to be modest about. These shepherds had much to be modest about. They had not much going for them. They were humble shepherds in their fields, and God appeared to them. And we need to remind ourselves that humility is so important in our Christian walk. When we are saved, we recognize that we have nothing at all to do with our salvation. We cannot do anything to be saved. But sometimes as we grow in the Christian faith, we become puffed up. We become proud of what we are, what we're doing. And because of that, we lack some humility. Let me read verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Listen to this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We have nothing to bring to the table. It is all from the Lord, and we need to maintain that humility. We can sometimes practice false humility. I mean, if there's one thing... If there's one thing I, I don't do well, it's maybe I'm not humble enough. But we have to remember that humility can be false. We can say things that people hear and they think that we're very humble because of what we said. But deep inside we're thinking, I'm doing okay. I'm all right. I'm proud of what I'm doing. And we have to be so careful of that. Because we can start to brag about people we know, things we do, how we're involved. And I would ask 
ask that we guard against that. That the Lord wants us to be humble. And he reaches out to those who are humble. Just as he reached out to those shepherds, he reaches out to us today. I mean, it would have been good to have a nativity play this morning. That was the plan. I asked Sheila and Marion to be angels, but I'm looking at them. They don't seem to have matched up to that. Um, Deduce's dress as a wise man, which is... He's, he's hoping for a part which wasn't there. And when it comes to grubby shepherds, we've got plenty of men that will fit that role. But we're not going to have a nativity play. But, you know, we are part of that, aren't we? We are the grubby men and women. We are, we are who God has reached out to. And he's approached us. And he's come to us in tender love. And he's called us to be his children. Not only are they humble, but they are obedient, tells us in verse verse 15, when the angels had left them and got into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. They were obedient to the message they got. It would have been absolutely a shock to these people what they were hearing. They wouldn't understand it. But the important thing is they obeyed. And obedience is so important in the Christian walk. Obedience to God is so important. If you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the way through you hear of people like Noah, and Moses, Abraham, Joshua, and Samuel, the disciples, Paul, Philip, all hearing God speak to them and doing what they're asked to do. They were obedient. And that's how God blesses people when they're obedient. And when we hear God speak to us, when we're reading his word every day, listen to what he's saying to us. When someone's speaking from the platform, listen to what God might be saying through those verses. And think about, well, what is God saying to me today that I need to apply to my life? How can I be obedient to what God is saying? And that, the shepherds were obedient. They hurried off, it says, to go and find the baby. We need to be as obedient, even though we don't, we don't always understand what God is saying to us. And that will happen. We still need to be obedient. But they also shared the news. They shared the good news. It says that they went off. They hurried off. And when they'd seen him, in verse 17, they spread the word concerning what? Being told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what they said. They couldn't contain the joy of what they'd seen when they saw this baby. They couldn't contain it and they had to share it. Now, it says that people were amazed. Well, I'm not surprised or amazed. These grubby shepherds who were outcasts were now sharing in this joyful way this news about this baby, this Messiah coming into the world. So yes, they would be um, amazed. But you know, we have an obligation we should have a desire as well to share what we have received and share with others. I think it's great to see the young folk in this church and the way they witness so freely. I really do. I include myself in the corner over there as young. And I include myself as well, of course. But it's so encouraging and so heartening to see how they witness so easily. It's called gossiping the gospel, isn't it? Just sharing in a natural way what the Lord Jesus has done for us 
as we grow older, we become a little bit cynical, we become a little bit analytical, we start examining things, we say, well, I don't think I'll tear with that person because they might not really understand what I'm trying to say. And we find all sorts of reasons not to do and not to be enthusiastic in sharing. But you know, we're told just to share it. God will take that word and he will use it. The young folk do it. There's a lesson for us from the young folk. You have to listen to a lot of rubbish in between, but in amongst that, they are witnessing, and that's great, and we should witness in our situations. And finally, they praise God. It says that the, the shepherds, in verse 20, turned, returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they gave God the thanks for what was happening. And again, that should be true of us. I don't think those shepherds thought much about what they were going to say when they praised God. I don't think they planned it. I just think it came from the heart. They just naturally said to God, thank you. And that's all we need to do. You know, Jesus talks against, doesn't he, the people who are, who are say, praying for the benefit of those around us. When we're praying, we might be praying on behalf of people, but we're not praying to people. We're praying to God. And let's remember that we pray to God. It's what's in our heart that God will see it. It's the words that we bring. And he'll help us. Sometimes we stammer with our words. And he'll help us through his Holy Spirit. But we just should say what's natural in our heart, that we're pleased, we're, we're so delighted at what he's done for us, we want to give him thanks. So the shepherds thanked God, and we should thank God as well in our own simple way. But what do we take away from this? Because it's just another Sunday. We'll have another meeting on Thursday. We'll hear from the Bible. But does it stay with us? Because I'll be honest with you, many of us have heard this time and time again. There's nothing new. But God is saying to us, and Mary tells us, she treasured these things in her heart, it says, and she pondered them. And I think that's a good example for us, isn't it? To treasure the things that we have from God. That means to really hold on to them. They're precious to us. And to ponder them, just to think about them. Think about what God is saying to us. Not necessarily just now, but when you get home, maybe over a cup of tea, just think about it. What is God saying to me about the fact that he is in control fact that he came into this world and he revealed himself to me and that I should be humble I should be obedient I should be sharing what I have and I should be worshipping God for what he's done so may this few words just be an encouragement to us as we seek to follow him I'm going to pray now let's pray dear God and Father we just want to thank you for your word we thank you for the Lord Jesus we thank you that he came into this world to